There we go with the John Curley, Sherry Ellicott Show. There's Teeny over there. She can't wait to hear from you. You can write to us at morningnorthwest.com. Coming in to the Muckleshoe Casino Resort text line. one 973 Oh, Teeny. I know. No big deal. Sherry, two weeks from now, big things are going to be happening at Teeny's employment. Diving into the Wow. Never heard that before. Hang on, girl. All right, on Friday, when we had heard that there was going to be a protest in Olympia, I put out a call. I said, hey, if you're going to the protest, tell us why you're going, why you want to do it, what you get out of it. Love to know more. And I thought, well, no one will respond. But lo and behold, from Yelm, Sherry, that's also where Ramtha lives. Carl, who is uh, in, that's right. Carl, we talked about Ramtha the other day. Yeah, Carl, Carl probably has Ramtha stories. But you responded to the call. You wrote to Joe and said, hey, listen, I went to the protest. I'll tell you what we're calling for and why we do it. You are you have a long history of, of protesting. You got involved first with the Iraq War protest, Carl. Uh, you've done uh, Black Lives Matter protests as well. And were you there on Saturday in Olympia or protesting recently for the uh, – yeah? Oh, sure. Oh, sure, yeah. sure was. Yeah, I was hoping to see the angelic Kate Stone there, but no, no chance, not this time. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> wow, wow, look at Carl. All right, so <laughs> let me ask you something. The... Hi, Jeannie. I believe in you. <laughs> All right. She's not, she's not long for this world, Carl. Don't get no, attached. Jay, Jay, Shh, she can hear you. All right, hold on. Carl, so ex- explain to me um, the motivation. So, like, when did you decide to get involved with these protests? What was it that said, I'm going to get off the couch there in Yelm and I'm going to go out there and, and have my voice heard? Well, yeah, I, I grew up as a, as a man of faith, you know, having a very, you know, uh, deep devotion to the, uh, the Gospels, you know. And, um, and then one day I met Ramtha the Enlightened One, and that changed <laughs> my attitude toward a lot of things. Yeah, the irony of hearing you talk about it yesterday. Really? Uh, yeah. So um, anyway... Um, I decided, you know, um, Armageddon isn't something to look forward to. It's something to be avoided. I mean, that's the best use of prophecy for people who believe mm-hmm. in prophecy, is yeah. uh, you take some bad information and you do what you can to avoid it, but not in a Greek way, you know, like murdering everybody so that, mm-hmm. you know, they end up cutting and kill you. So, yeah, um, yeah that's, uh, what can I do? You know, everybody's got their way of making the world a better place, and then there's those mad scientists that want to make it worse. So, and that's so with, kind of how my view on reality. So you see, uh, I guess when you're when you're marching, do you are you around people that don't believe um, what they're hearing from Israel? Like, what are the people around you protesting for? Are are you also part of the people that are yelling from the river to the sea? Um, you know, that's, a, that, that's a good question. So I've been to two of them, right? And okay. um, yeah. because, uh, well, okay, disclosure. I'm married into an Israeli family for 11 years. So okay. now our son has got both Israeli and American citizenship. Uh, but it was miserable. You know, when I hear you, when I've heard you go off on tiffs with, um, um, oh, what's her name? <laughs> anyway, uh, it saves me at the moment. Oh, Rachel Bell. Name? Whenever I heard you yeah. and Rachel Bell go at it, it's like sounded very vaguely familiar to me. Okay. So um, <laughs> anyway, um yeah, my attitude on this is um, it's it's dangerous, uh, it's a problem, but when you go to rallies anymore, um, it's really about connecting with who you meet up with, you know, because mm-hmm. this one in particular, 
you know, I'll, I'll just give an accolade right now to the police department. They were they were so calm. They were so sincere. I mean, I, I genuinely felt like they were protecting us, honestly. Mm-hmm. And it was yeah. I was relieved. So uh, the police has come a long way in change, you know, evolving with the current attitudes about this us versus them mentality that's been going on for so long. Uh, okay. Even a state trooper I saw there, he was of Arabic descent, um, smiling sympathetically to the crowd. Uh, but uh, as far as uh, everyone there, it felt like a funeral march, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. The leaders are mostly of Arabic, you know, persuasion. Um, the River to the Sea, sure, you know, that story goes back a long way about, you know, Palestine wanting independence from Egypt and Syria. Yes. Um, and it's kind of morphed into this uh, rallying cry for this extremist group called Hamas. So, um Anyway, um, yeah, it, it, it was sad. They were people were frightened, but when it came to the rest of us people that weren't specifically, you know, related to Palestinians or Muslim, they kind of felt like we were visitors. But you can go now, you know. And then they mm. went off to have coffee at Starbucks when it was over. So. so, do they do they believe? Do they see Hamas as a terrorist organization? You know, I, it's hard to say. I, I would infer from the majority of the crowd, there were about three to 400 people there um, walking. You know, hardly anybody else was on the road when it was so cold that day. I mean, we're, our hands were carrying signs, and we felt like, you know, dinosaur claws at the end of the march. Yeah. Uh, but we, uh, we um, uh, you know, they were shouting at, you know, hooray for Yemen for turning boats around. And, um, you know, when they'd say Palestine forever, I'd do my best. Andre 2000, forever, ever, forever, ever. You know, that's the great right. thing about Singing along with marching rallies as you can improvise as you go. Uh, it's just a lot of fun. Uh, well, the Holocaust is explicitly names other genocides. No, but here's the, here's the question that I and I'll let Trey jump in here, Carl. Uh, we're speaking with sure. Carl, who was I he was kind enough to respond to a request that I had of anybody who goes to these protests. So, do they doubt that Hamas uh, on October seventh murdered? Um, I think more than 1,300 Israelis. Did, are, they, are they doubting that? Are they doubting the raping? Are they doubting the hostages? Like, what do they not believe? Um, and yeah. and it, it's because this is where it gets uncomfortable. I think if you're calling for a ceasefire, why wouldn't you call first for the release of those hostages? They still have more than 100 and a number of women as well. The last ceasefire was broken by Hamas when Israel said, release the women. They said, well, release old men. And then Israel said, no, we want the women to be released. And then Hamas started firing rockets again. Uh, do they see right. it this sort of as a, a, there's a terrorist organization and then there's rail, Israelis and there should be peace and they're calling for a ceasefire. Do they sort of forgive Hamas? And see, is Israel is the bad guy in all of this? All right. Well, you know, I that's a, that's a great question. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, the the people who were at this particular march and the one in Seattle, the other one in Seattle, uh, I noticed um, they just they're just afraid. I mean, they're just they're just scared, uh, and they feel like you know the bald eagle is picking at their eyes. I think ultimately, um, they're not. They're just angry, and you know they they kind of mumble along in English, you know, their, their chants don't rhyme when it comes to, uh, when it's just Arabic, they get excited. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's hard to say uh, about who started it, right? Uh, but the others that I know, like um, there were Black Panthers there, Socialist Party people there, 
um, uh, some people from Sahelis uh, tribes, people there. And uh, they're saying, yeah, we just want this to stop because we don't want the, this to escalate out of control. And the next thing is Israel's lobbing a nuke at Iran. And then, oh, well, what are we in for after that? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it, it's it's not really a cohesive group, you know, honestly. Uh, it's mostly just, it's just a grieving. You know, people were, you know, they ran up the Palestinian flag on the flagpole for the Capitol steps, half-mast. Uh, they did uh, their Muslim prayers, which I'd never seen actually in person anybody do mm-hmm. their Muslim prayers. Um, but they're really just grieving and they're mad. And they're all, there's also, you know, with rallies, young men and women that are doing it for credit, you know, cred. And yeah. they get they get the attention of the others. And so, you know, so I went to the leaders. I asked them if they'd be willing to speak or meet, you know, just seeing if they might want to talk to you or somebody. Get the word out. Uh-huh. They were scared. They didn't want to talk. Um, you know, I asked if I could say something. What, what, what are they the, scared of? What, what are, give it, Carl. What, what are they afraid of? They're afraid of, you know, that's, that's a. No, it's not a great question. It's a simple question. Carl, let me, let me ask you this. Some yeah. people believe yeah. that, that standing up for Palestine is synonymous with being anti-Semitic. And is sure. that what they're afraid of? Or it, it, how do they no. answer to that? They're, they're, it's more, uh, it, and what I want to say is it's like it's ancient. I mean, the feeling I get is that they're, they're just kind of like reliving the Crusades. You know, I mean, there's just something that the whole world's against them, and somehow they have to reunite their fervor for their God, as if God is testing. It reminds me when, during the procession of the Species Parade, we'd always get these uh, fundamentalist Christians with the big sign saying, you know, don't live in sin. And I would stop and ask them, I was like, why are you here? We're just here celebrating like our favorite animals that aren't extinct because of a, a collective vote. And they wouldn't say anything. Mm-hmm. They, they feel like I was, I don't know, trying to tempt them, you know, here, uh-huh. have some candy. And so they would just redouble their efforts and just steer straight ahead, do not make eye contact. And that was kind of the same feeling here is there's just a general fear of being targeted and hated by the world. Um, is kind of basically what I'm getting. As far as anti-Semitic, to your question, Sherry, well, Palestinians are Semitic. I mean, it's hard to say. Yeah. I, I think it's, you know, I, I don't like how, um, you know, Israel's kind of co-opted the term, the ethnic term anti-Semitic to mean only Israelis. Uh, I, I think that's a bit of Israel propaganda uh, that I, I don't appreciate. Well, you can understand why Jews who have been the most hated group of people on the face of the earth and wanting to be eradicated um, forever. It's part of what Hamas's um, uh, statement is for existence, Iran helping them every step of the way. And when somebody calls for the from the river to the sea, they're talking about the annihilation of the Jewish state and therefore Jews. So I would think the Jews would be more likely to be afraid than those that are marching through the streets of Olympia um, when you're calling for a genocide and you have three individuals from the three, uh, you know, esteemed colleges unable to define what uh, calls of genocide are, I would think the Jews would be more concerned than Arab Americans marching in Olympia. Or while marching <laughs> along, do they ever say anything, Carl, that you're like, I don't really necessarily want to be associated with this group if they're calling for the genocide of the Jewish people? Oh, sure. I mean, you know, but I didn't. I didn't get that. I didn't get that. I didn't get any of that explicitly. Okay. Uh, so, you know, you know, to to, to be fair. Um, okay. So, but yeah, certainly. And there's always rallies I'm in where I'm like, eh, 
you know. <laughs> so this so. this rally stuff, uh, Carl. It sounds like this is something that you do uh, regularly. And uh, how important is it to you? that the people that are rallying around you, or even for yourself, know the historical context of what these protests are about. They understand the details. It, with, with this one in particular, you know, the complicated issues that, that have been around for decades in the Middle East. It, does that matter, or is it just more of a body count? You just want people there who are like-minded so you get the numbers that you need. You know, that, that's really what it comes to, is that it depends on who's doing it. You know, I, I, I went to some uh, demonstrations with the Rachel Corey Foundation last year, who is, like, to me, a daughter of the city. Um, and uh, if anybody hasn't seen her execution by an Israeli bulldozer, you know, it, it just kind of stands to reason. And the work that her parents have done since then. You know, mm-hmm. these are people that really are endeavoring to, you know, when they do their demonstrations, to have conversations to about education. These marches are real. I mean, again, they're just young men and a young woman who are angry and they're afraid and they're just it's they're just grieving, basically. And they're also mm-hmm. getting uh, cred and they're congratulating each other when it's over. So and you get you get all kinds right, to do this kind of thing. Carl, have you ever been involved in a protest that blocks traffic for a long period of time? You know, I wish I was at 99 WTO, but I didn't make it. Um, okay. But, no, if it, if it goes the freeway, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> no Will way. you go back out again if there's another protest? You hear about these online. Will you go and be involved in another protest and ask for another ceasefire? Oh, oh, absolutely. And the reason being, again, is because I'm meeting those who are genuinely interested in finding out what their motivations are, where they're coming from, why they're there. And, we, you know, and those of like minds that tend to meet each other in these affairs, um, we're able to get together and, you know, plan on what else we can say that might make a difference toward peace and kind of putting an end to the military industrial complex that seems to have infected Israel and Hamas and, and Washington, D.C. How's the network of, of, of information working? Is that all on social media? How do you know what's happening when? That's a good question. <laughs> wow. oh, um, it's it's really word of mouth, honestly, because people are really um, people are really concerned about uh, you know all the Edward Snowden revelations about being tracked by the FBI. I, you know, like like your show recently, John, about uh, you know the Capital Six riots or yeah, I don't know, you call it riots. You know, it's it's been going on for a long time, probably for thousands of years, really. There's always agents infiltrating stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's just careful word of mouth and uh, mm-hmm. code words between each other. So not to alert, you know, the NSA computers to monitor everybody. Sure. Carl from Yelm, I, I don't know you, but I'm going to try to sum up as best I possibly can what I, I get from you just from these brief 16 minutes on the air. Uh-oh, you are you, here. Here we go. You ready? I I think you are a humanitarian in that you understand the pain and suffering that we all have by the existence of our life on this earth and that you gather up the stories and spend time with people regardless of where they are politically, but seeing them just as a human that has emotion, that have emotions and there is pain and you're there as support, whether physically uh, supporting them by marching with them or listening to them or hearing their stories and repeating their stories. But overall, it's just a person that comes at this as a human being, part of the human race, but not as 
one person wearing, you know, one color shirt compared to another person wearing a different colored shirt, one side or the other, someone just existing within the plane of, of hearing the pain and doing what you can for them. Is that a pretty good job of summing you up? I think that's what makes us Americans, John. Wow. And, and uh, Carl from Yelm, we, next time where we have you on again, if we have you on again, I have to hear about your Ramtha story that actually took you from Uh-oh. Christian to, to what? <laughs> what are you now? I, I would call it like a lowercase c Christian. Okay. okay. <laughs> I'm a lowercase c. Okay. And it was really Ramtha? It was really Ramtha that did it? Yeah. Uh, but the other end of that is uh, my also, to add to what you had to say about me, which is wonderful. Thank you. Hope my mother's listening. Is um, uh, I have in mind toward the future. And my intent is that we can't arrive at the future if we're stuck in our past. And our future isn't going to exist if we destroy our present. So my biggest compassion is so that the future can exist as if somehow when it's time flows, many universes, it's there right now saying, hey, don't mess it up for us because we want to, like, have a life. Mm. Well, that's great. Uh, I, I, I think those calls should be respected. Carl, thank you. Thank you for doing what you're All doing. Right. I, I really appreciate okay. it. All right. I'll tell Tina you said hi. All right. There we go. And by the way, uh, that's uh, four good questions we got, uh, both between your, yourself, Sherry, and me from Carl. So how about that? We'll put that in the book right there. Here we go. The John Curley, Sherry Elgar Show. Something about sports between dads and sons. And um, real quick, I lost a job in Las Vegas. I applied for a Sherry because when the general manager asked me what movie I'd seen recently, I told him I saw Field of Dreams. And he asked me what I thought of it. I said, oh, it was a stupid movie, a horrible, dumb. No, James will jump with it. Oh, they will, you know, build it. They will come. And they charge him for parking. I said, that's a horrible movie. The guy looked at me and started to cry. And he turned around a photograph of himself and his father playing baseball and explained it was the greatest moment of his life to watch that movie and to be able to recur, rec- uh, recall the wonderful memories he had with his dad. And then there was like an awkward silence. And I said, well, you know, Kevin Costner... He he was good in that movie, so there's a there's a there's a sacred bond between a there father is. and a son when it comes to sports. And um, people perhaps didn't realize what was really happening behind the tears when um, this guy um, for the Lions. He's a fan of the the Lions. The Lions squeak past um, the Rams at 23-24-23 in the uh, wild card game, and um, so the camera swings over. You. See Uh oh. All right. I think John has been. Uh, oh. By now, you've most likely seen this okay. viral video from Sunday's Detroit Lions home playoff game. But what you probably have not heard is the emotional story. John, do we have you? Hang on. Okay. There you go. There hang on. Back. It's me. Yay. I'm back. Here we go. Okay. Here, hang, hang, yeah. Yeah. So, just, this yay. Is a woman. Today, I Here had the opportunity to interview this man. He's from Michigan. Trust me, yes. this is a story that you're going to want to hear. And then there's people that I can't believe this guy's crying over a football game. And uh, I, that's true. It's funny to cry over a football game, but it, it, it was more than that. 
This viral moment was a very personal moment. 21 years in the making for Aaron Vicarious. My dad had season tickets in 99. Growing up in Grand Rapids, Aaron's dad, Joe Vicarious, brought him to every Detroit Lions game that he could. Two tickets, that's it, me and him. An iron worker, Joe even helped to build Ford Field. He dreamt with his son Aaron of watching the Lions win a playoff game there. This is it, this is the year, Aaron. This is the year, this is the year. Joe repeated that phrase every year until 2004. At age 35, Joe's car slid under a semi-truck, killing him. Aaron was only 14 at the time. He's 35 himself now. There's the lion jacket that we buried him in. So now maybe you understand these tears even more. Aaron says when Jared Goff completed that final first down, he thought of his dad immediately. It was a full circle moment for me. I don't know my dad as an adult, as a man. So it's hard to connect in moments as of late. So being there, I can, uh, I can be 14 again. <laughs> As Ford Field erupted, Aaron knew what his dad would say. This is the year, Aaron. We finally got one. Your reaction, people have been saying that it encapsulates how all Detroit Lions fans are feeling. When you saw that response in the media, what was that to you? I started laughing. And I'm like, how do I embody Detroit? I know I'm not alone. And there's, there's families that grew up watching this team and have people that aren't here with them anymore. So when they got to see him win, I think that's special for a lot of people in Detroit. And also getting those playoff tickets last week, that was a surprise gift from Aaron's brother. And he said it was a big splurge for him. Obviously, he would love to go to this upcoming Sunday's home playoff game, but he's not able to find tickets. I did reach out to Ford Field to see if maybe we could pull something together. Haven't heard back now, but if anyone deserves to go, it's this guy. Yeah, I just get down, I'm looking up online to see if anybody sent him tickets. Don't you think somebody would step up and give him tickets? Sure. He's a perfect yeah. example of the kind of fan that they, that they want, these lifelong fans, and that they have this history with the team and all of that. So I'm kind of surprised. I think now is... that the backstory's out there, the Lions will probably get, catch wind of it. Oh, yeah. They'll take care yeah. of them. You know, there's probably other people who felt the same way, but the camera got that guy. Um, good for him. Yeah. This is... Uh, that, the, oh, the video did come through. This is the game I took Rye. This is the, the game that the uh, Seahawks went into the playoffs with. The great tip, right? Um, the Sherman's tip of Crabtree, and then they, they end up winning. And So I said, Rye, we're going to go downtown. We're going to look for tickets. We can't scalp any tickets, find any tickets that are any good or whatever. The price is too high. We'll just go back home again. And he's like, I understand, Dad. Just just the, just the fact that you want to try. Just the, so we're walking around. It's freezing cold. We're downtown. He didn't know that I we had a guy on the show, Sherry, who had been to every single Seahawks game Every single game. Never missed a game. Then his doctor said to him, if you go to this game with your heart condition and the temperatures being what they are and the stress of the game, there's a pretty good chance, and I'm not just saying this to scare you, that you will die. You will have a heart attack and die. Please, as your doctor and as a friend, don't go to the game. So we interviewed him and what it meant, his wife, how his wife was, you know, please don't go, begging him. So he... Didn't want to, but he he decided he wasn't going to get, go to the game. So I said to Patrick, who was producing at the time, "Hey, get him, keep that guy on the line." So I kept him on the line. Go to the commercial break, and I call and we. I say, "Do you want to sell the tickets?" He's from Vancouver, BC, and I said, uh, "He goes, yeah, I'll sell them." So he sold them to me for 
So then we walk around downtown for like about an hour. So Rye, we can't find it. Can't find it. That's okay, Dad. At least we tried. At least, let's go home and watch. Go home and watch. And then I said, wait, wait, wait. You know what? I think I got something here. Check. I reach into my pocket and pull tickets out. Where are they? Oh my God. <laughs> Two of them, we're there. Love you. Tears. Yeah. When Rye gets his uh, own sports show on TV, that should be the opening segment of him him getting the tickets from you. And that's how much of a fan he's been all of his life. Oh, God. The look on his face. I'll, I'll put it on our Instagram. Oh, yeah. He couldn't believe it. And then he also couldn't believe I was videotaping him. But then he, he forgot about that. Yeah, he's crying through the whole thing. Crazy. Uh, but... I don't want to get so emotional on this. The the bond between a father and a son and sports, it's it's priceless. I don't even know if that guy's still alive that was supposed to die if he went to the Seahawks game. I'm sure that game would have killed him. What about you <laughs> saved his life then? <laughs> yeah. You got the tickets. I did. Although, I, yeah, he was no right. fool. He knew you would pay whatever. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's true. I think yeah. I think we ended up taking the money I gave him, and he bought himself a house in Mexico or something. <laughs> yeah, crazy, crazy price, but well, well worth it. Well worth the memory. Ba-da-ba-ba. Everybody's trying to be treated better at an airport, so the advice that comes from I don't know who, somebody that uh, an expert, I'm sure, Sherry. They say that it's important for what you wear. Normally people oh, if I get all dressed up and wear a suit or a nice dress or something like that, then they'll upgrade me or uh, just treat me better when I'm waiting in line. Maybe even the flight attendant gives me an extra bag of pretzels. What else should somebody be wearing? Well, you should up the you know your stock a little bit more by wearing red. Red ah. is powerful and stimulating. And you are perceived as more authoritative and dominant. So, therefore, you might get some preferential uh, treatment. Reason is, it grabs attention. The airline staff is more likely to treat people that are wearing red with extra care and attention. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's called the red dress effect because it's such a powerful color. You're bound to get noticed. Um, Also, they're perceived subconsciously. People that are who are wearing red as higher status than people who are not. Um, <laughs> you should, really? You should wear high quality, vibrant reds. Uh, wear wear the red on top. Red pants, not so much. And oh. um, you can put red on in layers, so you can wear a scarf and a sweater and everything else, or splurge mm. on a red suitcase, and that really sets you apart. 
So, so something, a very bold red would be like a red cape. Yeah, a red cape or maybe like a really red cat in a hat hat. (laughs) (laughs) Having uh, slaved away in virtual obscurity as an extra in many movies, the one thing they always say to you is don't wear red. So if you ever watch extras, yes, anytime you watch a movie, uh, TV show, you'll see all those extras walking by, you know, hurriedly on the streets of New York or whatever. You hardly will ever, ever, ever see anybody wearing red because it's the weirdest thing. But your eye immediately goes right to the person wearing the red jacket or the red coat or sweater or turtleneck or whatever it is. And you miss whatever action might be there happening between the two actors that are, you know, the focal point, not some guy walking by in a red uh, sweater. One of the most famous extras that sort of drew attention away was in North by Northwest. Um, Was it was like Kerry Grant was in that thing? I think it was Kerry Kerry Grant. Grant and... Uh, um Ooh, oh, mm. oh, oh, are you going to get it? Yeah. I, I, had, mm. I had to watch that movie three times when I was in college. Um, oh, it's um, uh, Hitchcock Come loved on. her. Hang on. Yep, 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 yep. Okay, whatever. You'll, it'll come to Eva you. Eva Marie Saint. There you go. Correct for 15. <laughs> Do you want to pass or play? I'm going to play. You're going to play. All right. Yeah. Other famous scenes where extras stole the attention. You ready? Yep. This movie involved a type of car named after John, last name? DeLorean. What was the name of that movie? Back to the Future. That's correct. Pass, play, control the board. I'll play. You'll play. This famous Star Wars extra did what when entering the scene that caused everyone to laugh and draw attention away from the main character? What did the extra do by mistake? Um, uh, Anyone else want to jump in? Steal? Do anybody else want to steal? Having never seen Star Wars, that makes it a little (laughs) bit more difficult for me to answer that question. Uh, Joe, you have... 15 points. Sherry, you have 3,700. And Andrew, you're on the board with 100. Do either one of you want to try to steal with the answer? Drop a gun. I don't think it... Drop a gun is incorrect. Andrew? <laughs> Dude, or which, Nate? What? Which Star Wars movie What was did the <laughs> extra from Star Wars Extra while entering the scene do that took attention away from the main characters? Which Star Wars movie? He was a Star Trooper. He hit his head on a something. Yes, and congratulations for googling yeah, and cheating at the same time. I know. Way to go! I did not ah. Google that. I did not and, Google and that. How did they get any points? They didn't even play until now. Yeah, hey, take it easy, Sherry. Uh, Sherry, uh, yeah, Sherry. We'll now subtract three thousand. That is a great question, Sherry. There we Thank go. You. Yes. Okay. All right. 